You're listening to the one-on-one with Juan and Only Sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Juan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Flatball Collective. Want to show your love for Ultimate and Disc Golf? You gotta check out Flatball Collective, an everyday apparel brand inspired by our favorite sports of Ultimate and Disc Golf. It's designed by players from around the world who also happen to be talented artists, and each item represents a unique perspective of the sport. I personally love my Disc is Life sweater because it's super comfortable, and I get to wrap my favorite sport off of the field as well. Tees, hoodies, toques, towels, mugs, and more. Pick up your favorite item today online at Flatball Collective on Instagram or flatballcollective.com. Use code one and only 15 to get 15% off your order. That's code one and only 15 to get 15% off your order. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Nicholas Whitlock. Nicholas is only 21 years old and has represented New Zealand in international competition three times. He's been nominated for New Zealand's Male Player of the Year since 2017, and he's played for the U20 Open team in 2016 and as a captain in 2018. He's played for the U24 Open team in 2019 and was selected to be on the mixed team for the 2020 World Ultimate and Guts Championships that have been postponed. At the club level, he has played for an Auckland Open team called Groot from 2015 to 2020 and has switched over to play for the Wellington-based club Wildcats. At the university level, he has played for the Auckland University Ultimate Club, where they have won Uni Nationals in 2018 and 2019, and he came in fourth at Mixed Nationals in 2020. Here is my interview with Nicholas Whitlock. Alright, so I'm here with Nicholas Whitlock, New Zealand, born and raised. Really excited for this interview because Nicholas was actually a big supporter of the Ultimate Watch Party streams that uh, I did with a few friends earlier in COVID. So thanks, Nick, for that. And I'm just excited to hear about his career in New Zealand. He's an up-and-comer in the Ultimate scene. Uh, just 21 years old, so super young, but has already uh, represented New Zealand four times in international competition. Or three times, I should say, selected to be the fourth time at the 2020 World Ultimate and Guts Championships that have been postponed. So, Nick, how are you doing today all the way from New Zealand? The power of internet uh, Zoom there, but how are you doing today all the way from uh, Auckland? Yeah, awesome. What's up, Theo? It's awesome to be here. I, I met Theo and a bunch of other Canadians way back at the start of COVID online, a bit addicted to watching Ultimate, and it was great to get to do that with some international people and just chat about the game, which is what we're here to do again today, I think. So yeah, I'm excited. For sure, for sure. And also, just to hear your story a little bit, because people that don't follow the scene over there, the Asiana, what is it, the Asia Oceanic region, Australian Ultimate, New Zealand Ultimate, people might not know a lot about it. So we're going to have a chance to talk about that today and also have a chance to talk about something really cool, which is the fact that, spoiler, New Zealand's been able to play Ultimate while the rest of the world hasn't. So he's kind of uh, getting better. Nick is getting better while everyone else is uh, not playing. So <laughs> Nick, let's start it all the way from the beginning. Like I said there, uh, right in the intro, only 21 years old, but you've been playing Ultimate for a little bit now. So how did you get into the sport? What kind of got you into it? Yeah, so I've been playing for just under eight years, but I first heard about the sport in, I think, dabbling back into the archives, uh, was my last PE lesson of primary school. And we played a version of Ultimate where you had to throw a huge like fabric frisbee through some rugby posts and they called it ultimate and it was great fun fast forward a few years to the uh first couple of weeks of high school and me and my mate are looking for something to join apart from football which we both play so we hear something about 
Ultimate Frisbee in the daily notices, and we go and join that. And it turns out that our Latin teacher is the head of the sport. Warren Buckingham also, who was that Latin teacher, also ended up being the coach for many teams I played for, including the New Zealand under-20 teams. So, yeah, so that that's a brief summary of how I got started into playing. Yeah, just to uh, to put some context there, you're speaking of uh, European football, right? Like, you're talking soccer. Yeah, yeah, soccer, soccer. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, some of the North American audience there, Nick, they might be thinking uh, American football, but you're, you're talking about the soccer there. The real one. Right, no, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> The real one, he says. I think that's fair. Did you play that at a high level, or or were you coming from a, another elite level or high level sport background before Ultimate, or what were you kind of doing before uh, in primary school and in high school? I was playing age group soccer, so the top of my age group up until I was fifteen, and then I pretty much made the switch and dropped down to just playing social football, and then really picked up and started focusing on Ultimate. So within that switch, what was kind of that, uh, let's say, light bulb moment or something that made you want to switch to playing Ultimate full-time, right? And, and kind of you're the Ultimate junkie now, fully into it, consuming content as much as you can. Yeah, So sure. was there like a special light bulb moment that kind of led to that? So in 2015, I was selected to play in the New Zealand Under-20s team, and I was also trying to play football at the same time. And the thing that made me drop it and completely cut the cut ties with football and like make the switch in 2016 was that I didn't really have the option to play both at a high level and the football one was just like a team in Auckland at my school we were doing really well but it wasn't my love and ultimate I just like fell in love with it the first time I started playing and like throwing a frisbee and it's cliche but it's the truth (laughs) So that, I, made, I made the switch at the end of 2015. The rest, as they say, is history right there, Nick. You mentioned you're in love with it now, of course, and, and passionate about it. But what was it specifically about the sport? Was it, you know, being able to rip 70-yard uh, flicks or, or skying people? Like, what was it that really got you excited that was different than soccer, than uh, European football there? There's a lot. I think the first thing was how different it was to everything else I had done and how whenever you went to go to a training or a game, I was always learning something like brand new every time for the first few years of playing, which was just like incredible. And I really enjoyed that. But also the people um, that I started playing with just were like a huge part of my love for the game and still are. Yeah. No, that's sweet. And you're not the first person on the podcast there to talk about the ultimate community and and what it's done and, and, it's a positive impact. So that's awesome. And so you kind of skipped over a pretty big fact there, which is the fact you made the U20 team and you're in high school at the time. Is that correct? Yeah, I was 15 when I got selected for that team for the first time. Yeah. So why don't you talk about that a little bit and, and what that was like to be able to say, Hey, I'm one of the top uh, guys in the sport there in your country and to be able to go to a U20 championships. You did that twice, which is cool being a captain in 2018 as well, as I mentioned there in the bio. So that was pretty exciting. So tell us about that. Yeah, that was super exciting. So it pretty much started. So in 2014, I played for my high school A team and I was the youngest on that team. And there was a bunch of like 17, 18 year olds who were playing or had played on the under 20 team before. And so they were kind of like my mentors. They were all super, super nice lads. And they were just pushing each other and me like at every training. So from... Pretty much when I first started playing, it was somewhere where I knew I wanted to go and like take it very seriously. And then in 2015, I was pushed by both my high school coach and also the selector and coach for the under-20s team to try out, and I ended up making the team. And then from there, I just kept working hard and playing for the team. Great opportunity, really. Yeah, and you actually uh, made it to my home country there of Canada, Waterloo, Ontario. So shout out there. You played in the 2018 U20s. I know uh, there's a little bit of rain there for that tournament. What was that like? That was your second time representing your country, but also you're a captain now. So you're kind of looked upon for more responsibility. So what was that tournament like? Yeah, so going into my second Worlds was very different to the first one, obviously. The first one, I was like, 
I'm going to go, I'm going to play for my team. Hopefully I can play well as an individual, but it was mostly just try to like play our team's game. But going into the second tournament, I kind of had a big part in deciding what our team's game was and trying to like build that alongside the other leadership group and the coaches was something that was like a huge passion for like a year and a half from like the start of the tryout season until the end of the tournament and building right through that and like getting everyone on the team on the same page for like all the big games was super awesome and I'm sure we'll talk about a few of those games later but yeah. So I have to ask, being a Canadian, what did you think of Canada when you got here? Unfortunately, we didn't know each other then, so we couldn't meet. Hopefully, uh, in 2021 or 2022, we could do so at International Tournament or something like that. But what did you think of Canada? What was your uh, experience like? You get to visit another, a whole new country, a whole new continent. So, Yeah, it was awesome. I regretfully say I was a bit distracted with the candidacy and the, um, and the ultimate, but we did um, spend a bit of time in Toronto, and we, did, we went up to Niagara Falls, which was fun. But honestly, the Canada itself is a bit of a blur. It's, it's, all I can remember is that stadium and, and the fields, to be honest. <laughs> At least you made it to Toronto, though, because for those who don't know, Waterloo's about an hour and a half, an hour, 15, depending how fast you're driving there on the 401. So uh, you are actually able to make it a little bit in, in other parts of the province. We spent a week training in Toronto and actually played a few warm-up matches against Toro, which I know is a highly competitive like youth youth club out there yeah yeah very uh popular and big club team shout out to evan phillips and carla di Filippo who run that program the elites program has uh been very successful it's cool that you got some reps there and uh, able to stay in toronto at that time so you've done the u20 circuit now you're a little bit older you're playing the u24s you're probably one of the younger members right because it's u24s but you're playing as a 20 year old 2019 there so what was that experience like playing with uh the big boys as they say playing a higher level probably a little bit of stiffer competition players have been playing for a little bit longer now so what was that like yeah so i was the second youngest on that under 24s team but in saying that i don't think i was probably one of the more experienced players on the team because i have been playing since the end of 2013 which in new zealand is a long time to be playing most people don't start till the end of high school or even university i had a lot of experience going to that but yeah it was a lot more bigger humans at the tournament and in the team. So it was awesome to be going up against some um, rather tall lads and people who had a lot of skill and experience. Yeah, maybe in the U20 certain countries, some of those players haven't hit their full uh, growth spurt yet, as they say. But <laughs> as a 22, 23-year-old, they're, uh, they're pretty tall there. And, and I love the, the terms you're using as well, just being in that part of the country. Lads and mates, we love to hear that on the podcast. So... That's awesome. And then, of course, 2020, for most of the world, no real ultimate. But you had a cool milestone in terms of being selected to be on the World Ultimate and Guts Championship team there for New Zealand in the mixed division. So you've played some mix in university, which we, we can talk about as well. But what was it like to get the call or email or text or whatever it was that you were on the team? It was awesome. So we had New Zealand was trying out a completely new system where we had like a big training squad for all three divisions and then players would get selected from that so i just wanted to make a team and get to go and play against some of the best players in the world i was super gutted when it was postponed because as i made the mixed division there was a few players in particular that i was super excited to go and match up against in particular jack williams (laughs) shout out yeah playing with the best players in my country and learning from them from all around all the different cities was awesome everyone has something unique that you can learn and taking that on board has like made me a more rounded player i think so within that you were to receive your fourth cap as they say uh in european uh football right i think yeah yeah your fourth cap representing your country so can you talk a little bit and maybe educate the audience about new zealand ultimate and just the growth of it what does the world's program look like and how do people sort of find out about Ultimate there in New Zealand? Because uh, for a lot of the audience, they may not know. So why don't you spend some time talking about that? It's very similar for all the different age levels. We pretty much have one or two trials per age group, and then everyone from the country just flies to a city wherever it's hosted. 
and then from there the teams are selected and you usually have a one to two year campaign depending on the age group so the younger age groups they usually have a longer campaign and they go and like play against australia in a couple of series i know for my under 20s we lost in a three match series to australia 2-1 and then in 2017 we won the series 2-1 so it was it was good to get redemption the second time round and then for under 24s we went and played in one of their regional tournaments which is awesome to go over and get experience from there because we don't get much other international experience. But outside of the national scene in New Zealand, the ultimate kind of goes all year round. We have our single gender season from the end of November until the end of March, and then mixed and university season pretty much kicks off from there. At university, we only play mixed kind of due to numbers but also it just means more people get more opportunities to play high level ultimate because it's not as diluted out into two different divisions and then everyone plays open and then everyone plays mix so it's awesome to see everyone everywhere and play against everyone it's a small community but it's growing fast down here yeah so you are able to play both on an open team and a mixed division team in the same calendar year is that correct that's correct, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, actually been a suggestion. I know Alti World's talked about that, and probably other people have thought about it, because in other countries, as as we're talking about, New Zealand is one of them, where you can play both, and that might be kind of something that other countries might consider just to bolster both divisions, right? So you don't have to pick and choose which one you play. You get to actually play both. And would you say that's been a great benefit to you in your development as a player? I think personally, getting more reps on the field is awesome. It's so good just to be able to play every month, every couple of months, like, and work towards something to play for rather than just scrimming a week, every week in a pickup match or at training. So working towards things like that is awesome. So yeah, having it split for that reason is really good. And you talked about the uni scene there and the club scene. So New Zealand not being the largest country there in the world, how many uh, club teams would you say exist sort of in each division? And, and same thing for university, just to give the listeners some context there. So for the mixed division, we have recently split up into two divisions. Our Division 1 Nationals has a limit on 12 teams, and then there's no limit on Division 2. I think this year there were 17 or 18 teams that have tended Division 2, but you have to qualify to to the Division 1 tournament through the regions, which is familiar to most, most countries, I think. And then the university scene, we only have... I'll get called out if I get this wrong. I think it's seven universities that call themselves universities in the country so for university nationals unis just send as many teams as they can so we usually get about 11 or 12 teams attending uni uni nets which is pretty cool yeah so i am part of the executive committee for my unis club and we managed to send four teams to university nationals last year and we were planning on sending four teams again this year um until the tournament was cancelled but yeah it's pretty cool to have such large numbers and growing at the at the uni. So in terms of the uni uh, scene there, if you're someone who wants to play ultimate, you're going to find yourself a team is what you're saying. You're not really cutting people like they might play on the third team, but they're getting reps and being able to play. Is that correct? Or are you still doing cuts even for the four teams? We're still doing a little bit of cuts, but we try to take as many people as we can. You got some hype there uh, from the ulti world with your big throw. The big hammer there, people saw that and they were like, hey, Ultimate's still happening somewhere in the world. And uh, it was you, Nick Whitlock, there unleashing a big hammer. So what tournament was that that you uh, threw the big hammer? I'll make sure to throw that video in the show description as well. Yeah, so that was Division One Nationals quarterfinal match against... It's not really a rival team because it's the first time they'd actually attended the tournament. But a couple of my really good mates were on that team. And obviously the the trash talk, I will say, is is fostering a huge rivalry there, especially between myself. I'm not sure how the rest of my team felt, but I really wanted that game, not only because it was a corner final. But yeah, that habit in particular, we were kind of stuck on the on the low side, and we managed to work it to the high side of the field. It was super windy, like really, really windy. Managed to work it to the high side, and I started to get a little... No, I won't say impatient. That's not the right word. Antsy, antsy. <laughs> I didn't have complete faith in myself that i'd be able to deal with another 
10 to 20 swing passes and I saw a new up-and-comer in the country who's only started playing a couple of years ago, Charles Patterson, streaking deep. That guy has some hops on him, so I saw him going, saw some space and just put it out there and it worked out and it looked really cool. So it's a win-win situation there. It could have been a lose-lose. I could have looked like a fool and it didn't come off, but it did. Yeah, it could have been a lose-lose and, and we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking about it, so that's okay that worked out there. And in terms of the club scene, as I talked about in the intro, you've played mostly with Groot, but in 2021, you were slated or, or going to play with the Wildcats. So for some in the American or North American audience, you may have heard of the team Wildcats. They've been successful, and they've also had a player named Aaron Neal who represented them, that area, I guess, at the Next Gen Tour many years ago. But So you may have heard the name Aaron Neal, and you may have heard of Wildcats. So what prompted the change for you to play for Wildcats after playing for Groot for so long? I started playing for Groot in their inaugural year in 2014, and then went to Nationals with them in 2015 for the first time. But what spurred the change, it still doesn't quite sit right in my heart because of how long I've played for Groot, but it was mostly just I moved down to Wellington and for the majority of the season to just be down here and to train with Wildcats. I didn't move to train with them, but because I would be training with them, I thought it'd make sense to play with them as well. So it's been really good to learn from some people who I haven't really played alongside before. And the the coaching team is really good and people like Aaron Neal and a few other like high profile people in the country play for Wildcats. So it's been awesome to kind of be taken under their wing in some sorts or like learn things from them on the fly as we as we just train rather than watching film or playing against them. And is there like a big rivalry with Groot and Wildcats? Like from someone that doesn't know the cities of New Zealand there. So is Auckland and Wellington close together in proximity? Is it one of those like one hour drives, big rivalry, or is it kind of a, you're in two different parts of the country there? As different as you can get in New Zealand, pretty much. So Auckland's at the top of the North Island, Wellington's right in the middle of the country, and then there's another big ultimate hub down in the bottom of the South Island in Christchurch. So Groot and Wildcats are the two most competitive teams with each other. Well, they have been in recent years, at least. So it's pretty pretty big rivalry. So Nick, you talked about in your journey just a lot of coaches and people that have inspired you and, and really helped you in your game. So I'm going to give you a chance right now to give some shout outs to people that really impacted you in your development as an ultimate player. So why don't you uh, give some shout outs right now to uh, people in New Zealand that helped you out? Yeah, there's so many people. The first person who comes to mind is Warren Buckingham, my high school coach and under 20s coach. Learned a lot from him and the people who coached alongside him, Aaron Neal being one of those, Ben Waller and a few others. And then I mentioned right at the start some of the older older guys from high school who then went on to captain a bunch of teams I played on as well. So one that stands out in particular, which is probably one of my favorite tournaments outside of um, international tournaments that I've played, was in 2015. A few people captained my first nationals ever. Um, I'll give them shout-outs. Jason Saw, Lucian Lee, huge. And they pretty much ran the team on three mottos. Bit cringe, but they were leave the salt in the sea, everyone's MVP, and to fight the entropy. Don't let the team go into disarray. And these three things are like... I like it, I like it. Hey, whatever works for your team. I still use these to this day, which I'll probably laugh that I said that if they listen to this. But that team changed how I view the sport a lot. And it was after that that I made the switch to ultimate full-time as well. So all these things kind of coincided and that tournament, first layout, most like the teammates I played with are people I still play with today. Some of my best friends like Andrew Fitzpatrick, Jack Doherty Eagles, Ron Burns, who I started playing with when I first, first began. We all like push each other through the whole under 20s campaign and like are still playing together now. And yeah, just fighting, fighting for each other and against each other and pushing each other the whole time. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah, that's awesome. And more. There's there's so many more, but it'll it'll take me hours. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the whole I'll take the whole podcast there. And so we're gonna wrap up uh, segment one here, Nick, by talking about some advice. Nick's an avid listener of the podcast, so I do appreciate that. So he knows uh, he knows this question was coming there. So you've heard some advice on the podcast from other people. 
Uh, Rowan McDonald gave you a shout out on his episode. So if you want to check that out here from an AUDL player in Rowan McDonald, you can definitely do that in the podcast archive. And so you're constantly getting better, right, Nick? You're taking part in Excel Ultimate, doing things like that, playing with Wildcats, a new team for you. So what's some advice you would give to someone who's also trying to get to that next level, knowing that you're still, you're an up-and-comer, but you've played internationally a few times now. So what's some advice you would give to someone who wants to play internationally for their country? I think there are two answers I'll give to this question. The first one is just play as much as you can, whether that's having a disc in hand or going to trainings and stuff. I know that Kyrie Irving used to talk about the 10,000 hours rule from, I think, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays like six hours a day in high school and just getting so many reps with ball in hand, disc in hand. And I definitely do not put myself on that level, but I was definitely throwing three or four hours a day when I first started the whole way through high school outside of trainings and games. It was just like every morning, every interval, every lunch after school, just throwing, throwing. And I loved it. Not necessarily the most intense or like focus throws as I was just a young lad, but <laughs> a young buck, yeah. <laughs> getting those touches in is so important just to get comfortable in different situations. And then the second thing I would add is always be willing to learn from everyone because even though you might be more experienced than them or better in some aspects of the game, there's always one aspect or two aspects or many aspects of ultimate that you can learn from everyone um, whether that's a different way they do an upline cut whether that's a slight delay they have on one of their moves or a release point on a throw you can learn from everyone and i try to like absorb as much online media but also as much as i can from in-person interactions as as time will allow really yeah so those are my two pieces of advice take them with a grain of salt but i think they've, they've worked well for me yeah for sure And would you say that that advice has served you well in your transition to that new club team, right? Because now you're not playing with the same players that you've played with on Groot and you're not captaining a team like you do for the U20s, for example, or on the executive council on the uni squad. So would you say that advice kind of served you well as well with the new team? That advice is currently in progress. It's been one of the toughest switches I've made with an ultimate so far because it's a very different playstyle and very different mental state of the club and learning to play within that and adding to the team rather than just trying to play my game play play as and add as much as I can to theirs rather than trying to mold it has been really hard but I'm learning so much from the coaches yeah and talking about the club segues well into to day-to-day life there segment two because that's something that's that's your reality right now and for those uh in other countries, we're definitely jealous of uh, you being able to play and train. So let's walk it back to 2020. What was your life looking like in 2020 with Ultimate? Because as we've talked a few times now, you had Ultimate and you were playing. So what was your season looking like in 2020, even though uh, COVID was happening in other countries, but your country was doing a great job with keeping that at bay. So what was that like in 2020 for you? We were super lucky to be able to play any Ultimate at all at all. At the start of the year, obviously... Um, you may or may not know, but we went into lockdown and our open gender, our single gender season got cut short and Nationals wasn't allowed to go ahead, which is a bit of a shame. And we went into lockdown and that kind of spurred a lot of fight in me. And I was training the most I had ever trained for what at the time I thought would be um, Worlds because I was still very hopeful that it was going to go ahead in 2020. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, I have no other ultimate. I'm stuck at home. I, I can't go out. I'm just going to train, which I did. And then Wells got postponed. Lockdown ended in New Zealand. And we went out to play a bit. I started playing disc golf a bit to, because we were only allowed in groups of like six or ten, depending on the, the week. It changed a lot. But then lockdown two happened a month and a half later after we opened back up. And that kind of wrecked my ambition a little bit and i didn't train as hard i was still doing a little bit i like to think but nowhere near as much as i was doing and then when that ended up opening back up the university season kicked off the mixed season kicked off and then i was back into full swing and it was really really cool to come out of a lockdown situation where everyone playing 
was there and they appreciated it so much more than they did the previous year. And it was just really cool to be playing really hard intense ultimate and everyone on all sides was just loving it no matter no matter what the results were and stuff. So it was really cool to be a part of that. Coming out of that lockdown and seeing Ultimate return, especially in the uni scene there, would you say that there was a growth of Ultimate in New Zealand because of that? Maybe people were cooped up and wanted physical activity. Would you say that that results in any changes in participation or, or not really? I'm not sure I have any data to support either side of side of this answer but i i didn't see much change i think there was definitely more enthusiasm when we first came out from the people who were there but i don't think there was an increase in numbers at all that i saw how do you balance your life currently you're not in uni is that right you're on break is that correct yeah yeah start back in about a month in a month of this uh recording there at the time of this recording and so when you're in uni what does your life look like balancing classes training you're consuming a lot of video content and things like that. So what does your day look like there? Yeah, so I pretty much watch or attend lectures depending on my mood for the day. So my uni's really good and most lectures are available online as well as in person. So I attend all the compulsory stuff and then may or may not attend the optional lectures and otherwise I'll watch them at home. And then I'll get by doing uni work and grind out assignments as early as I can. Well, I like to tell myself I'll grind them out as early as I can. Not always to plan, as I'm sure most people listening have experience with. But outside of uni and when I can fit it in, I have trainings and play leagues and then try to gym a few times a week or do agility stuff to keep myself fit. Yeah, so you're playing league on top of training with your club then, is that correct? So you're, you're doing a kind of like triple duty there. Because you're, you're doing a few different things. Yeah, so my current club down in Wellington Wildcats, we train twice a week. And then there's a competitive, I don't like to call it pickup, but it's pretty much pickup with like some invite people that we do once a week, which is like really high level scrims, which is awesome. That's like really fun. And then I just play a social mixed league on, on Thursdays. Try out a few different different options, uh, let's put it that way, um, and just have a good time. And then outside of just playing, try to get lots of throwing reps in, lots of weights in, and try to do sprints or agility once a week, as I said. Yeah, Yeah. so are you saying that in the mixed league there, that's where you're uh, harnessing the hammer, is what you're saying. That's where you're developing it. Is that what you're uh, implying there? Not really. The hammer comes out in all the trainings the the thumber or the lefty scuba is what's coming out in the in the mixed league yeah in the thursday social <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair it's good though uh to have that balance right having that competitive outlet as well but also being able to to play ultimate as a sport that you love in a social context as well so it's kind of good to have a bit of both and i want to ask a little bit about your leadership opportunity at the university so on top of studying, on top of training, you're also on leadership for the club. So what does that look like? Uh, what have you learned from that that you're able to bring over to the ultimate teams you play for? Oh, there's a lot of opportunities that being part of the club has given me, really. The first one that probably translates the most to the rest of the clubs I've been a part of is appreciating how much work goes into planning a season and finding coaches, selecting coaches, and then aiding the coaches in planning selection camps and then trainings and booking fields and all, all the logistics that it takes to actually run a season. And appreciating that helps so much with being being present at trainings because a lot of the time, if you're not not having a great day and you just turn up to training, you're not fully fully focused, but appreciating how much effort it takes to actually get those trainings to happen and happen well is something that really helps me to stay focused during them. That's probably the main thing. And you're on the back end too, right? So you get to see all the the coming together of the program. And so you just talked about coaches. Is that something that's pretty prevalent in New Zealand, would you say, for a lot of the uni teams and club teams where most of them have a coach? Or is it mostly player run? Or, or maybe you don't know. It's nearly entirely player run. I think there's a couple of unis who have coaches. Our uni this year and in the previous couple of years has really strived to have non-playing coaches and we've been successful with that but we are one of the few that really pushes to have multiple multiple coaches in our teams and we were really lucky to have 
what probably doesn't sound like a lot, but was a lot to us. We had eight applicants for coaching roles this year, which was amazing to actually be able to choose. It was a bit different to have to cut people who applied to coach, but it was really cool to have a lot of people wanting to be part of our club. It was a privilege, really. Yeah, speaking from someone who's tried to find a coach for the local club, uh, I can tell you that eight applicants is very good, considering uh, sometimes you get zero. So uh, it's good to hear uh, you getting the coaches there. And based on this interview in the audience, you can tell Nick is just fired up about Ultimate all the time. But is that your state all the time? Like, are there times where you find things a little bit harder to, to wake up and go for that morning run or for the morning weights or things like that? Does it ever get menial to you or you're just still so fired up even, uh, let's say, seven, eight years later since uh, you started there? Usually always on the ultimate buzz, but a, a lot of the time it does come down to, oh, I don't feel like going to the gym. Let's just sit down and watch some film instead. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I haven't yet got to the point where it's, I want to watch some film. No, I don't feel like that. That's always the back out of the stuff I should be doing. It's more ultimate, but just in a less intense capacity. Yeah, maybe you can get one of those uh, chairs or, or like a, the things under your desk where you can pedal while uh, while watching uh, something. So maybe you get a little exercise in there or something like that. I definitely have my phone on the, on the front of the stationary bike every so often. <laughs> Sounds like you're a huge consumer of film, so specifically ultimate film and so what are some things that you look for that maybe you can share with the audience when you're watching are you watching mostly for enjoyment are you watching for skill development watching a specific player or team like what do you do when you're film watching it really depends a lot of the time if it's something i'm wanting to work on at the time i try to look for look for that in the gameplay a lot of the time before big tournaments i just go back to games that hype me up or watch those or plays and other times it's just purely to sit down and watch some ultimate. But yeah, when I am looking out for specific things, there's two ways I do it. It's either choose a player and follow them the whole time or try to imagine what you would do in like different freeze frame situations, like and which swings of the disc and like which movements and um, lanes and angles you're going to hit and things like that. Yeah, a lot of visualization and stuff. Yeah, and so on top of all that training, do you do any sort of, because uh, you just talked about visualization a little bit, is that something on your radar as well, like kind of the mental training and things like that? Is that something that you look into to better yourself as a player? Yeah, definitely. For under-20s, we had a couple of really good coaches and a support staff who were really big on that. And I definitely find that mental training and visualization aids my game immensely. I did my first layout in my head probably 2,000 times before I did it in real life, and that applies to throws and cuts and playing defense and everything. I've definitely woken my girlfriend up in her sleep a couple of times by shouting about an insane play that I was dreaming about or something, uh, which is a little bit embarrassing, but it happens. <laughs> it's uh, good that you're being vulnerable and sharing uh, your life there on the pod. I'm sure the audience appreciates that. and. I've heard that also as well in terms of visualization. If you can't imagine yourself throwing, let's say, a 70-yard flick with you know, closing your eyes and imagining it coming out of your body, you're probably not going to be able to produce it because you're just not able to, to visualize that. So that's a, a definite good point there. To wrap up this segment here, what are some goals that Nick Whitlock has in the ultimate world? So you've already played for some international teams, but what's uh, the next steps, next goals there for Nick? <sighs> This is a question I ask myself a lot, which I think is a good thing, but is there's a lot I want to do within the sport of Ultimate. Not all of that is myself playing. I want to grow the validity of it within the New Zealand sports ecosystem, which is well on its way, but we've still got a long way to go as well. I think that's unanimous all the way around the world um, with Ultimate at the moment. But as an individual, I want to keep pushing myself and players around me within the country and then... Hopefully one day, if all the COVID situation cleans up in the next few months or a couple of years, we don't really know, but I'd love to go and try my luck against the best in the world and just learn from them and hopefully test them and test myself. Just want to play more ultimate, really. Yeah, that'd be super fun for sure and something to look forward to. So appreciate you sharing that. And we're going to move to segment three here, Nick, and dip back into the archives, as they say. So do you want to start with your least favorite game or your favorite game that you've ever played? Oh, there's, there's, a, there's a couple for both of those, really. 
Yeah, well, we got time to hear both, so... Uh, we got time? Okay, okay. Um, so which one do you want to start with, though? Uh, least favorite or, or... I'll start with my best one, and then I'll go to one that kind of, is, kind of is both, if that makes sense, and then I'll go to my least. So my most favorite game was in Waterloo in 2018 at Under 20 Worlds. I talked about getting the team on the same page earlier today, and the night before a game against the USA... We had chats about how we were going to go into the game and people's heads were down and they were like scared and as you do against the number one seed in the world. But I had been having chats with individuals and then had chats with the team because I genuinely believed that we, we could win that game. And what I was telling all my peers and the players on the team with me were was that I was asking them a question, can you throw 20 passes in a row? And the answer was always yes. And then I said, how many throws do you throw in a game? And they were like, about 20. And I was like, can you do that tomorrow? And they were like, yes. And that's all I left it at. And that well, it seemed to work because we came out firing against the US. We didn't turn it until I think we were we were 4-2 up at one stage. Um, then they got a break. I remember it very clearly. I won't, I won't walk through everything, but all our parents and supporters on the sideline were taking photos of the scoreboard because they're like, oh my God, we're up in the States. It was pretty exciting. We took half 8-6, I think. And then we went, we kept the lead up until we were 11-10 up. And then we choked a little bit. Um, the USA depth really showed. Our legs were starting to falter. Their bottom seven could keep up with our top seven. We could not say the same. And they got the last five points in a row, won 15-11. But despite that, it was such an awesome game. and. What really validated it for me and the rest of the team was so many of the USA players came up to us after the tournament and said both that it was the most spirited game that ever played and one of the most fun games that ever played. Whether that's because they won it after being down, which they haven't done, a mu- done that much, I don't know, but it still meant a lot to hear that from the players and the coaches of that team. Yeah. So that was my most favorite game ever, really. Yeah, high praise, high praise for sure. And would you say potentially, as you mentioned, one factor could be the depth, as we know, when you have a country as large as the US, but not just in population, but in terms of the talent pool, you can have higher depth. And also another factor could be that some of those players have been in situations like that before in those high pressure situations. Would you say that's something that maybe was a little bit uh, unique for your team, something that maybe some of those players hadn't experienced before? Yeah, definitely. We had... I think it was six players returning from the 2016 campaign, which is more than usual, but still a lot of the players on the team had not been in high-pressure situations. And yeah, definitely the USA team had so much depth. And if we had, I think we only had 40 people or 50 people trialing for the team at, at the very start, whereas the US, I think, has like in the thousands of people trialing for each team. And having that would be amazing, but it's just not realistic. Having that depth. My team was so proud of everyone, honestly. We had some plays that people came out of nowhere, picked up discs, got huge blocks, were running hard the whole game. And it was just an incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could I could uh feel the emotion radiating off the screen there as you're talking about it. <laughs> and uh you mentioned you had another game to talk about, so why don't you talk about that one as well? That's kind of in the middle of your favorite and least favorite, it sounds like. Yeah, okay, okay. So the next Worlds tournament I played was Under 24s in 2019. And this kind of has like a roller coaster of emotions that go through it. We are, this is still in pool play, so nothing nothing real intense. But second to last game of pool play, we I think we had lost 1-1-1. One, 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 and we still had a chance to make it, make it through the pools into quarters. But we knew we would have to win our next two games to make it, make it through. And that's what we all thought at this stage. So we went and played against... Belgium first and that game went to universe point and then I made one of the biggest plays of my life in my opinion it wasn't insane but it was a layout grab in the end zone on universe point to secure our hopes and keep them alive to go through the quarters and that was really exciting but then the next game after that was against Ireland and we were like okay they're seated below us and we came out a bit flat against them and went down 8-2 at half time and we are like starting to stress um, that we no longer can make quarters. Halftime, coach gives us a big fire up. Big shout out to Leo. Learned a lot from him, playing with him at the moment on Wildcats. But fires us up. We 
come out firing. The team plays incredibly. I was a bit flat the whole game, but the team managed to pull it back, and I think we ended up winning the game 13-12 or something. We went on a second half was 11-2 or something, something ridiculous, and we won that game. But a few points before the end of that game, we looked over to the adjacent field and saw that Belgium had ended up beating the Australians, which meant it was a three-way tie for third place in the pool. Oh, you hate to hear that. I can already smell what's about to happen. Due to points difference, we were not going to be able to make it through. We closed out the game and won that, but it was a shallow victory because we had fought so hard but didn't manage to make it through after two grueling games. But it was still a really good experience, but it's one of the ones which I wish earlier in the tournament we had been more clinical and managed to pull out a couple more games that I know and believe the team could have, but it was still an incredible tournament. We ended up finishing 10th which is still a really respectable placing, and I was happy with that, but quarters would have been incredible. That's just the way it goes, uh, where the cookie crumbles, as they say there, Nick, in terms of how ultimate tournaments are formatted. So it happens. Yeah, rollercoaster of emotions, just hearing it. And then why don't you talk about your least favorite game then as well? I maybe should have talked about this one first, because it kind of leads into what I was saying about Australia beating Belgium. Belgium beating Australia, right? Oh, yeah, sorry, the other way around. Australia beat us for the third wet tie. But in 2019, my team group, we made the final of New Zealand Nationals, and the Australians had sent over their under-24s team, who they call themselves Goanas, to our Nationals, and they ended up making the finals as well. We had bet them in pool play, but they ended up taking the game to win our Nationals in 2019. And it was a really, really well-fought game. I think there were about 10 turnovers in the whole game, which is very low for New Zealand Ultimate. It was a really good game to watch. The intensity was high, but they they played out of their minds on the day, which then led us to wanting to beat them really badly at under-24s later in the year, which didn't happen. But there's a lot of rivalry between us and the Australians. A lot of love as well. More love than rivalry, but they intermingle. They intermingle. And this is a tip that I've heard from knowing some New Zealand people, the Kiwis, as they say. Do not mix them up with Australians. Like, don't call them Aussies or anything like that. That's probably something that you really don't like. Is that correct? Uh, it doesn't go down well. We love them, but we uh, don't want to be them. <laughs> there you go. So any Australians listening, still, you still got the love from Nick Whitlock, but he also wants to beat you in ultimate there. So thanks for sharing the archive there of Nick Whitlock, your career, you know, some rollercoaster of emotions. So hopefully the audience can feel that as well. So we're going to jump into some rapid-fire questions. Start with some ultimate ones. So first off, which throw do you prefer, your flick or backhand? Oh, uh, in long-range situations, definitely the flick. But I reckon around the handle space, I like I like popping out some flippy backhands, either lefty or righty. But yeah, so it depends, is my answer. But overall, I'd say forehand. Situational. What about hammer or scuba? Same answer. I'm definitely better at hammers, but I really want to work on my scubas. There's so many angles and like lines and uh, that I see and I really want to hit. And then I try to throw one and it doesn't come off. Then I look at the coach. He looks at me. He's just like, why did you do that? And I'm just like, I don't know, man. It was going to be good, but then it wasn't. So I, I want to work on my scubas. At this point in time, I prefer my hammer. And to give some context, is New Zealand Ultimate pretty windy or is it pretty still when you played? Or maybe it depends on the season. It's super windy all the time. If there's no wind at a tournament, there's something wrong. You're like, what's what's going on? But yeah, it's super windy and people learn to deal with it. Lots of zone then? Is that is that It depends. There's a lot of zone in like the medium range skill, but I find that at like the top level and the bottom, the zone doesn't work as well because match is more effective. But in the middle middle block, it's really effective to play zone, which is a lot of university and some of the earlier games and national tournaments and stuff, yeah. And uh, now some hypothetical questions a little bit here. Would you rather drop a pole or drop a catch in the end zone? I'd rather drop a catch in the end zone, for sure. Dropping a pole is something I don't want to do. Have you done it though? I must have. I can't recall time that I've done it and it's mattered, but I definitely have done it in like a training or something, but I can't recall. Yeah, you put it out of your memory. I get that. I'm, I'm pretty good at forgetting things that are bad in Ultimate. 
it's a good thing to keep up my confidence, but a terrible thing for <laughs> learning from mistakes, which I still try to do. I get that, I get that. And what about, would you rather win five silver medals, let's say at New Zealand Nationals or at Worlds, let's say, or just one gold medal? I think I was one of the people who helped pose this question to you way back in March or April. So I've thought about this a lot. My answer depends on the context. If it's with the same team, I'd rather five silver medals because you've worked consistently and you're proving you're like that you can do it time and time again. But if it's a team that I've just joined or a team that I've made for like one campaign and there's no insurance or definite um, status of continuing to play with them, I'd much rather a gold medal. Yeah, shout out to you and some of the other people there in the the watch party that brought this question up. So uh, good to see that the, the question's still alive and going well. So definitely love that. And what about should Ultimate, you talked a little bit about validity there in New Zealand, your country, should Ultimate change its name to something else? I'm not sure I have an answer to this, mostly because I don't think it affects me and the people who I've spoken to outside of Ultimate don't mind the name at all people say it doesn't sound professional or stuff but people i've spoken to they don't necessarily find that it's a silly name for a sport or anything so i don't have anything against it but i do like flat ball i will say that <laughs> you know i like the flat ball as well talked about it before on the podcast you know there's a company that helps sponsor the podcast our flat ball collective teams out there in alberta called alberta flat ball club so i love flat ball I'm a huge fan, but not everyone is there, Nick. So you got to know that some people, if the name changed to Flatball, they would not like it. Can't please everyone. <laughs> exactly. So what about Ultimate with referees? Is that something you ever thought of? What do you think uh, should Ultimate have referees? I go through stages of wanting them and not wanting them. But right now, I think having referees would be great. I listened to your episode with Charlie, the Ulti World chief editor few weeks ago and i really like his his way of answering this question which was that the referees are there but everyone still makes their own calls there's just no discussion and if the two players don't agree instantly the referee makes the call and i think that's a really really good way of solving all sides of the argument so i never heard that before but since i heard it i'm all for it it's a little bit of a mix of spirit of the game right you're still able to make your own calls but then you can also say hey we don't need to go to observer make this like take 10 minutes like We'll just like quickly say, do you agree, disagree, and then kind of go keep the game going. Because I'm sure you've been a part of some chippy games or games that calls abound. And it's just like, guys, we just want to play, right? Makes sense. And last one here of the Ultimate related. Should Ultimate continue to pursue its place in the Olympic Games? Yes, I would love to see it in the Olympics at some stage in my lifetime. Yeah, well, hopefully. You're still a, you're still a young gun, as they say, so... Uh, by the time that Ultimate potentially is in the Olympics, you could be prime age uh, to participate. So that would be kind of cool. And uh, you can say that your first ever podcast was here with one and only sports. So there you go, Nick. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> now some non-sports questions. I'm going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history. They can be brought back from the dead. They could be living. So who are you going to choose to have this uh, amazing meal with? I knew this question was coming, and I still struggle to come up with answers. The only one that I'm for sure wanting to speak to is Stephen Hawking. I'd love to sit down and pick his mind and see what he thinks about the current state of the world and things like that. Who else? Let's pick... I, I'd love to speak to Richie McCaw. He's a... probably Sir Richie McCaw, I may should, should add. He's probably the most well-known rugby captain of the All Blacks ever, I'll say that. But yeah, he's put out a lot of books and mindset and his outlook on the mental game is huge. So I'd love to speak to him. And then let's choose someone from within Ultimate. I'd love to sit down and talk to someone like up and coming, probably like Manuela Cardenas. I've never really spoken to her, but seeing her play and We've been playing in similar tournaments. So we both played under 20s, 2016, 2018, and then 2019. And watching her play is incredible. I've never had the opportunity to talk to her before, but I, I reckon she has some insane opinions about how where the sport should go and things like that. So I think those are my three. Hey, we like the mix here on, on the podcast, so that's awesome. And now uh, going to give you a chance to put on a concert there in your backyard. 
I'm not sure if you do have a backyard there, but if you don't, pretend that you do, okay? And a huge one at that. So you're going to put on the biggest concert New Zealand's ever seen. You can pick any band or artist in the world. They could be broken up or, you know, not living, but you bring them back. So who are you going to have at this concert? And you got to pick the order in which they play as well. Okay, so I was definitely prepared for this one, and I'm going to mix it up again with a big variety of music. I'll open with a jazz funk big band by the name of Snarky Puppy, who I listen to a lot. They're really good. I highly recommend them if everyone hasn't heard them before. Following that, I'll have Ben Rector, who I've been listening to a lot recently. Got some awesome music. And then I'll finish with probably one of the best concerts I've ever been to um, of Queen. Obviously, Adam Lambert instead of Freddie, but was still incredible. So yeah, I'll, I'll end off with Queen because they'll just blow the roof off. Yeah, that would blow the, the backyard uh, there in New Zealand there. They would have a bigger backyard after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Big, big party there. So uh, that's sweet, man. And last question, you're the rapid fire. Can't pick ultimate as the answer for this. So Nick, you're a pretty tall guy. So in this uh, make-believe world, you could be even taller if you wanted to. So you got to pick the sport, team, position, or individual sport that you would play uh, other than ultimate. So you have all the talent and you could be the height that you want. You could be shorter if you want. I don't think you would, but you could be taller as well. I think I would play football, soccer, because I played from a young age and I always wanted to make it big as you do when you dream when you're eight years old. But I think I'd play for Barcelona. I think Lionel Messi is just the best player there's been in a long time. Sorry, all the CR7 fans. <laughs> Playing a European football, as they say. So that's sweet. And Nick, that ends our show for today. If our audience wants to find out more about you, uh, maybe see you in some games that you've played, uh, where can they find this information online? I have an Instagram page, which is the only place I'm really active on- online, which is at nicholasw.8. Um, and the place where you can probably find footage of me playing, I have a YouTube channel where I have a playlist which I will make public of like games that I've been in and played in. And there's a couple of highlight reels I've used to try fundraise and stuff on there as well, which are a good watch, in my opinion, unbiased. <laughs> it's all the self-hype though. It's uh, it's good stuff. So when you said earlier you're watching film, you're mostly watching your own plays is what you're saying to get yourself hyped up. Is that right? I definitely watch my games more than once because you can learn the most from watching yourself, in my opinion. And having the opportunities to watch myself is not very large out in New Zealand. We have only just started recording national tournaments and stuff. So there's not much of it, but there's a lot to learn when it's there. And who films it? Like, is it just a parent or is it um, another uh, third-party company or is it the tournament organizer? Who's filming these games? There's sometimes parents come out and film on the, their phones, but I don't really know where any of that footage ends up. It's mostly tournaments hiring streaming services and teams we have recently new zealand ultimate has gone into a partnership with sky sport which is the sports service for tv and stuff and i've got like a thing that they call the new zealand sports collective and there's a bunch of like minor minor sports that are part of this and they stream on youtube and every so often games get put on tv which is pretty cool so recently the tournaments have gone on there so you've been on tv then out there in new zealand is that what you're saying no, I haven't. Ultimate hasn't, but some of the other stuff from the Sports Collective has. So, one day. And as I mentioned before, I'll leave the video of the, the hammer as well. It got some hype, though. That's the big thing. You got your name out there, so that's uh, the big thing there. So, I'll leave all that stuff, the Instagram, YouTube channel, all that stuff, I'll leave in the show description. So, if you want to check that out, you can uh, do so. And so, Nick, thank you again for taking time out of your day. I know it's, uh, as we're recording here, it's uh, afternoon, actually. You're having your afternoon tea or something. Thanks again for coming on the podcast and uh, good luck on your journey. I hope we can meet one day. If not, 2021 doesn't look like it. So 2022, uh, see you at a tournament somewhere there around the world. So looking forward to that day, Nick. But uh, thank you again for coming on the pod. Thanks so much for having me, Theo. It's been a privilege and it's great to talk to you again after watching you on the twitch.tv slash one on only sports and talking to you since then. It's been awesome. So thanks to you for so much for this opportunity. It's great to have chats about ultimate as always appreciate the support there uh, not just for the podcast but for the different projects that i've had a chance to embark on so thanks a lot nick yeah hopefully i uh, see you soon there awesome thanks Theo. 
Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Ann Worth, 2020 Callahan Award winner and Ulti Worlds Division I Women's 2019 Offensive Player of the Year. She has played for the University of North Carolina Pleiades, Rally Phoenix, Team USA, and the Rally Radiance of the Premier Ultimate League. In this interview, Anne shares about her college experience and the positive culture on her team, as well as the next stages of her life, where she has to balance Ultimate with career aspirations. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports, and you can see some of my commentating highlights on YouTube at Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.